0: There's a sense in which all of us are looking, or at least hoping, for some kind of miracle solution to life. It, it's something in our in our human nature that that's looking for uh, a magic formula, looking for a shortcut. You know, it's it's in that mindset that you see these advertisements. you have know, seen them for, you know the. You don't need to, if you want to lose weight, you don't need to worry about dieting, you don't need to worry about exercise, just take this pill and everything will be perfect and it doesn't work. Uh, You know, we all know it doesn't work. And, but there's something about that in us that says, I'm looking for that magic formula. And this has been something that people through the ages have been looking for you look at the ancient Near East and, and you look at how people view their lives, it's so much of it is in the realm of the spirit, probably far more than, than our culture tends to be. But in, and in that mindset, they're, they're always thinking about how can I get the gods to do good for me? And often it boils down to if I do this ritual just right, if I say these words just right, if I follow this practice just right, then the gods have to give me what I want. And we look back at that and we think, boy, you know, those people didn't know what they were doing. And yet, let's be honest, we wrestle with something of that, too. Even in the church. In the church, there are people who say, if you do things just right, then God has to give you whatever you ask for. And one of the places that people turn to when they are thinking about that and promoting that is this passage in Matthew that we just read. Jesus says, in beginning in verse 20, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything and if you have faith, you will receive it. And there are people who take those words and say, if you have faith, God has to do whatever you ask him. And if it doesn't happen, then it means you don't have faith. And of course, a lot of the the discussion comes back to what exactly is faith, because often it is a matter of believing enough. Enough it's 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 having enough something in you that that is either enough or not enough and that's how we define faith but when you look at faith in the biblical sense of the word jesus talks about small faith he says you have the faith of a mustard seed you can do more than you could than you would have ever imagined because i think when you read the scriptures what you find is that often the discussion of faith is not so much about us, it's not so much about we have this intellectual understanding that we believe with our minds, but rather it is what is ultimate about us. It's about what our focus is. It's, it's about what's the deepest thing, recesses of us. What controls us? What's our priority? And Jesus is saying the faith that he's talking about is faith in him. If you have faith in me, he says, if you believe that I am who I am, who I say I am, if the direction of your heart is toward me. It's not about the fact that you just think hard and you really work hard at believing more and more. But rather, the issue is, to whom is your faith directed? Because if it's anything else, then all of this faith is resting on us rather than on him. And what we find over and over again is that when we think about the answers to prayer, when we think about about coming to God and God answering, it's about who he is. He's just asking us to direct ourselves to him. Now he says if you have faith and you don't doubt. And of course is the opposite of that. The word doubt has an interesting history through the scriptures. There are some, initially it has this sense of, of meaning to judge. That's how it first is interpreted. And so you get to Exodus chapter 18 and Moses is explaining to his father-in-law how things work in settling cases. And he says, when a dispute arises, the people come to me and I am the one who settles. I'm the one who judges. I'm the one who doubts the case between the quarreling parties. You move on to Ezekiel chapter 34, and you find that Ezekiel says, As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says to his people. I will judge. It's the same word that, we, that Jesus uses here to say, we interpret doubt. I will judge between one animal of the flock and the other, separating the sheep from the goats. So now it's not just judging, it is separating There is a sense in in dividing things. And you see that more clearly when you get to the book of James. And he says, But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person who is divided, with divided loyalty, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. And such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided. Divided. Between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything that they do. And so what we see here is this progression of this word to doubt. It is comes down to this idea of being divided. And I think what Jesus is saying is, if you if your focus is on me, as opposed to being divided in your focus, things will happen that you wouldn't have imagined. Because it's about who we believe in. It's about where our focus lies. It's about whom we trust. And so often, our, when we think about our praying, we're thinking, well, I, I, I sort of think God might do this, but I'm going to have some other options. And it's not that we don't work to... God often uses us to answer our own prayers, But our prayers are, when we talk about faith, it's believing that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's the direction of our faith. As opposed to being double-minded. And what interests me about this whole idea of praying this way is that it's, Jesus says this in the context of the incident of the fig tree. This is a strange story. It's one of those stories that you think, what exactly is happening here? You know, Jesus, Matthew says, in the morning as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree beside the road and he went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. And he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. I think, Man, Jesus seems to overreact, doesn't he? I mean, what's fascinating is Mark tells us that when this happens, that it's not even fig season. Now you think Jesus is really overreacting because he's, he's upset with a tree that's not bearing fruit when it's not supposed to bear fruit. You think, man, you know, right before this, Jesus has been in the temple and he was angry in the temple and he cleared out the temple. And you wonder, is some of that anger still spilling over here and he's taking it out on the tree? You know, the thing that came to my mind was those uh, Snickers candy bar commercials. You know, they say, you're not, uh, you're not yourself when you're hungry. You know, and you think, man, maybe this is what's happening with Jesus. You know, he's kind of losing it here. I don't think that's what's happening with Jesus. I actually think this whole dynamic, this whole incident, is not so much about the tree as it is, the, it's a symbol for the reality that Jesus is trying to address in Israel. Figs are are vitally important to the people of Israel. They're not only one of their primary sources of food, but they also are integral into their economic well-being. Trading them, exporting them, they're a huge part of it. You've seen that from the beginning. Way back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, in that passage we read, one of the things that God says to Israel... Uh, when he is telling them about this land they're going to enter, is that it is a land filled in abundance with fig trees. And when you move into the prophets, one of the ways that they talk about what happens when Israel rejects God is that there is no fig crop. It fails along with other crops. It's a big part of, of who they are, of their existence as a people. And the thing about this particular story is that, as I was doing some reading about this, is that when, in early spring, maybe six to eight weeks before the actual figs appear on a tree, leaves begin to appear. Probably the time that Jesus is talking about here. But the interesting thing is, when the leaves appear, there are also some little knobs or little pods that also appear on the branches. They happen at the same time. Sometimes the, the little pods appear before the leaves. But when the leaves are there, there should be pods. And these pods are not the fig not the figs. They are the sort of the precursor to the figs. They are get to be about the size of an almond. And eventually those those little pods fall off the tree, and when they fall off the tree, then the figs begin to bud and come. And if you can eat those little pods. I don't think they taste near as good as the figs, but they are edible. And often people who are poor that happen to be walking through may grab a few of those off the tree and eat them, which is sort of what you see in Jesus here. He's looking for those pods and there aren't any there. And the significance of that is if there are no pods, when the leaves come, the tree will never bear figs. You know that. Jesus knows if there are no pods on the tree, there will, no, there will never be figs on the tree. And this tree, when you first come to it, looks good because the leaves are there. You can see them. They're green. They think this is a good tree. This is a healthy tree. But when you get closer, you realize that it's not. And there's a spiritual dynamic here that Jesus is attempting to communicate in this in symbol. That the nation of Israel looks good on the outside. They go through all the rituals. They practice all the things they're supposed to practice. They do all these right things, but they're dead. They're unhealthy. And the result of that is going to be the withering of the nation. Judgment is going to come. And Jesus is symbolizing that because he said because i think he's saying they are a as a people they they don't have faith in me they are divided they doubt i'm not the focus yahweh isn't the focus and the and the natural result of that is destruction and you notice that the disciples are amazed that jesus withers the tree Immediately, the tree withers immediately after Jesus speaks to it. Now, I have this image in my mind of sort of time-lapse photography. We have this living tree and all of us in that time-lapse just kind of does this. I don't know exactly what it looked like, but it was obvious to them immediately it withered. And that they're amazed by that as any of us would be. And I think that there is a sense in that of Jesus declaring his authority. He's saying, look, this is what happens when people ignore me. This is what happens when, when nations, my people miss me. Because, again, this is about Israel. It's interesting to me that when you look at the word doubt in Scripture, it's, it's not really addressed to people who don't know Yahweh. It's addressed to God's people. James addresses his word to the church. Ezekiel addresses his word to Israel. and the real, the real struggle of doubt is in us because we know better. We know who Jesus is. We, we know that he's declared him, who he has declared himself to be. And the question before us is where does our faith lie? What's the, what's the focus of our faith? If the focus of our faith is wealth, then we spend all of our lives trying to accumulate wealth. If the focus of our lives is fame, we spend all of our lives trying to be famous. If the focus of our lives is power, we do everything to to accumulate power. And if the focus is Jesus, then we spend our lives trying to get closer and closer to him. And that's faith. That's the life of faith. That's the life that is unified rather than divided. And that's the life that leads to things, not just to the fruit on a fig tree, but to things like moving mountains and doing more than we could have ever imagined. And that's what ignites our prayers. It's really not about us, it's about Him. It's just about us turning to Him. It's about us focusing on Him. It's about us acknowledging Him, pledging allegiance to Him. And when we talk about the kinds of prayers that move mountains, what we're really talking about is is the kind of prayers that, that do what we prayed earlier, that your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we're praying that everything that God has intended for his kingdom would happen. And so when you get to the book, the end of the book of Revelation, what do we find when Jesus ushers in the kingdom in all of its fullness? What is it like there? It's about healing and restoration and reconciliation. It's about comfort and security. It's about hope and life. It's about freedom. It's about joy. And Jesus is telling us that while we will never experience that in its fullest sense until that day, when we pray, your kingdom come, as he tells us to, we are asking God to bring the kingdom into our lives and into our world now. And that means it's always appropriate to pray for healing. It's always appropriate to pray for comfort in our grief and pain. It's always appropriate to pray for, for God to supply our needs. It's always appropriate for God to give life to us. It's always appropriate to pray for reconciliation and restoration of, of relationships and things that are broken and torn apart. It is always right to pray those things. And we don't demand God's answers. The answers, however God responds to our prayers, that's up to him because we believe, part of our faith is believing that he is good and he knows what is best. But he calls us to pray because we believe that the answers to everything in our lives is Jesus. It's about Jesus. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pray together this morning. Because I am convinced that our problem is typically not that we have so much faith that we pray more than we should. But rather that we struggle with doubt. And we pray less than we should. Jesus is saying, look, pray big prayers Take risks when you pray. Pray deep prayers. Pray for more than you could ever dream or imagine because that's the kind of God in whom we are placing our faith. And you might be thinking, you know what, I don't even know if I have enough faith to pray anything. That's why this is a corporate community experience. We pray for each other. And so this morning, the elders and Pastors are going to be here. Some of the elders and pastors are going to be here in the front. And we're going to invite you to give us the privilege to pray for you. To be faith for you if you need it. To help you hear the, the words of Jesus into whatever issue or struggle that you or someone else may be facing. And you can come and for something in your own life, something for somebody else, something, maybe you just want to pray about something in the world that's just, that's burdening you. But we want the privilege of praying with you and for you. You can tell us as little or as much as you want and everything we pray about will will stay right here. We have anointing oil. If you'd like to be anointed with oil, we'd be happy to do that as well. There's nothing magic about the anointing oil, but it, in Scripture, it, does, it is a symbol of the reality of the Holy Spirit with us. And sometimes God knows those symbols can help us experience a little more deeply the reality. So I'm going to ask the elders and the staff who are here to come, and then invite those of you who would like to come. You can kneel here at the altar. If kneeling's difficult, just sit here in one of the chairs, in the one of these red chairs here down front. And we will pray for you. So if you'd like for us to pray, please come. and good. As we go from this place in a few moments, may we go recognizing, remembering, trusting you, and knowing that you hear every one of our prayers. Fill us with faith, and we ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen.